evening to the listeners. Welcome to This Week in Interview. I'm your host, Anthony Drago. It's Wednesday night, and every Wednesday night, that's what we do on, on TDN Radio. We do This Week in Interview. We have a special guest whom I have the privilege to have a conversation with, and I share that conversation with you. Every week, we have interesting guests, and every time we do an interview, and I think it's the best interview ever, I, I get to experience it all over again. This week is no exception. I have a very um, exciting guest, very fascinating individual, uh, a lot to share. She has accomplished a lot in her life. She's a published author. She's ha, has produced, right now she's produced and directed a short film and, uh, and is in the process of, of releasing another one. She's a former journalist. She's a mother, she's a youth worker. She's accomplished quite a few things in her life. And, and um, I am going to be having this conversation with her tonight. And I'm very excited to share that conversation with you. So let me welcome you to this weekend interview. I want to tell you that every week I appreciate you making time in your schedule to, sh- to share this all with me. I know there's a lot of things competing for your time. And therefore, I appreciate the fact that you make this weekend interview part of your weekly schedule. If tonight is your first night listening to this weekend interview, I hope that you too will become a regular listener to this weekend interview. We we try to give you information that is different from what you from what you find in regular popular media. Topics of interest, topics that are very salient and relevant, but from a different angle, from a different perspective. And I always like to say that if you can find what we do on this weekend interview by turning in your television or, or clicking through your the internet, then there's no need for us. We think what we do is unique and I enjoy bringing it to you every week. So let's, let's get started with the show. And as you know, I always start the show with playing the CARICOM anthem because my dream is to see the Caribbean go forward as one nation. And, and, and I want to do, I, I intend to do, uh, a show or two about that um, this year, 2017, to bring that discussion a little bit too, more to the front, to the forefront, to see if we can convince our leaders that as people, we function as, as Caribbean people, and therefore they need to follow our lead and take, in, take the steps and initiative to Take the steps initially required to, 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 know, to realize the dream of one of a Caribbean nation. So let's listen to Mikkel and listen as she does the CARICOM anthem. And when we come back, I promise you, we're going to have uh, a conversation you know, that, that's going to be just entertaining, insightful, fascinating. Just stay tuned. I'm sure uh, once we come back, you will not be able to leave your seat. So let's hang in there and welcome to another installment of this weekend interview. From many distant lands Our forefathers came Some seeking adventure Some bound in chains Web hosting and dedicated servers But I have to tell you about Jocko Hosting They're simply the best With their 99.9% uptime guarantee, 24-7 sales and support teams, you'll never have to worry. Get in touch with them today. They offer plenty of other products and services like SSL certificates, 
managed WordPress, and more. Call or click today, 480-624-2500. Jocko.com. That's J-A-C-H-Q-O.com. A G and D Enterprises. All right, listeners. Uh, welcome back. And as I as I promised you, um, when we come back, we're going to have a discussion with uh, a very special guest. And our guest tonight on this weekend interview is a is a young lady by the name of Miss Catherine Dorset. Catherine is from the island of Dominica, but she currently resides in Montserrat, and um, she. She was in Dominica. She worked as a journalist, and she her passion is writing. She's like a, a, she she's published a total of of eight books, if you can believe that. And and now she's she's entering the she's trying her hand into the field of of film production and stuff like that. In addition to that, she's found time to work in the in the Ministry of Youth and Development in Montreal. So, Catherine, are you here with us? Yes, I am. All right. So, a very warm welcome to this weekend interview. I, I am so happy that you were able to be my guest on this weekend interview. So, welcome to this weekend interview. And let's let's just tell, I give the listeners a little bit of a background, but let's let's delve into, you know, who is Catherine Dossett, what makes you tick, how you found yourself being a writer. Let's just let's just start a little bit because um, I know you started in Dominica as I say a journalist making contributions in newspaper and that sort of thing. So let's let's introduce you to to the TBN um, audience. Well, good evening, everyone. It's really a a pleasure to be to be here. Uh, I think most persons knew me as um, Helena Durand. And I worked with the newspapers in Dominica. Okay. Of course, I was born here in the John to Angela Sorendo and um, Harold John. I grew up in a squatters area called Squatters Village. Just below the hospital, the Princess Margaret Hospital. And well, I started writing very early. I, I love to read. I don't remember learning to read, but I always love to read and writing. My mom encouraged it very much. She, she could read and write, but not very, very well. And she decided, well, she didn't want me to grow up like that. She really wanted me to just have everything at my fingertips. And so what she did was go to the library. And, you know, sometimes they throw out old books. So she'd bring home some old books and she'd say, you know, do you read me a story? And I'd look at the book and realize, uh, is it a, a math book or physics or <laughs> some kind of textbook, but there was there's nothing to make a story. Mm-hmm. And um, I would turn the pages like I'm reading, and I would create those stories. And that went on for a few years. And one night, I must have done a particularly good job because everybody was laughing and falling down. And the next night, she said, "Okay, read her a story." So I took the book, and I was starting a new thing. And she said, "No, no, no, do not that one, not that one." I want you to tell me the one you told me last night. Read the one from last night. But you can imagine. I didn't have a clue. I just couldn't remember what it was last night because I just made it up. Right. And that was when she realized I was just making up stories. She gave me a solid beating because she was very particular about lying. And she figured since I wasn't reading and I was making up the stories, I had been telling lies. And then she got me an exercise book and told me whenever those stories come to mind, write them down. And that's how Antiquate actually started. 
Aber sie wollten mir Themen And that's where it actually started. You've been writing from from time you were a little girl. You've been making stories. You've been um, being able to put your imagination on paper. Yes. Mm. That, that's awesome because there's so many of us who who say we have stories inside of us, and um, and we're not able to discipline ourselves to write to write it down to to publish it and to share it. So that's very inspiring to hear. Um, even as a little girl, you were able to, to be able to harness that creativity and put it on page. But pa- fast forward, um, as you said, most people know you as Helena Durant. Um, yes. You, you were you associated with one of the major newspapers in Dominica, I remember. I worked with the, with the New Chronicle first. But actually, before that, when I left school in 1981, Mm-hmm. I was unable to seek common entrance. My mother was always sick. She was suffering from cancer. Um, I was really an old gentleman. My brother was somewhere else. My sister was in the Guadeloupe. So it just didn't happen. So I left school in 81. Just um, St. Martin's School, just the primary section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, I went to work with the Mrs. Well, first I got a little job at Anchorage Hotel with the Amos. I was in the kitchen helping out, but it just didn't fit. And then I got a job working at Enzoi with Mr. and Mrs. J. Lewis. You know, they have the J. Bookstore. Mm-hmm. John Lewis, uh-huh. I know them. Well, yes. And the lady was so nice. And then because we became friends, although I was kind of doing the domestic work, but because we became friends, I took one or two of my short stories just to get a feel of what other people would think of it because I hadn't shown it to anyone before, apart from my mom. And um, she said, but you cannot be doing housework. This work is very good. And she gave me a number. She told me to go to the Women's Bureau and talk to she's name is Bellamy. Mm-hmm. And I went and I started working at um, the Women's Bureau as I'm just helping with making coffee, taking phone calls, running errands. I thought I was actually volunteering, but at the end of the month, I got a whopping $300 allowance. I felt like I was the richest person on earth. <laughs> I felt like I was the richest person on earth. Of course, by that time, I had um, my two children, because I got married at 17, very young, yes. Okay. And I had my son and my daughter. But $300 was a lot of money. And then things graduated from there. Then I I went, I could speak a little French. I don't know what happened to my French now, but I could speak French very well then. And I got involved with, um, what did they call it at the time? NBC, I think. The National Corporation something. National and it was linked with Tourist Board. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Marie Jose used to be there at the time. Right. And then I started doing tours with people who came, the French people. Mm-hmm. And what I did, because I had a camera and I loved to write, I took pictures of the tours and just wrote about what actually happened on a daily basis and I just send it to the newspaper. Mm. I was pleasantly surprised to see every Friday when the Chronicle came out that I had a page just for all the stories and the hikes and so on. And it became, you know, really something to look forward to. Of course, it was free and everything. And then because writing was really my passion, I applied to the Chronicle for a job. And he said, come on board. And in 1982, that was it. I was there. 
Started with crunch. That's the passion that you started. That you know, um, you know, just doing it, just just using your talent, your raw talent, and and having confidence enough to share, wanting to share uh, what you write with with the public. That that you know that that is that is something that is very very um, awesome. Uh, and so, I want to cycle back and spend a little bit of time with your mother. I know that that's something that's important to you. Um, because you said that she would get books for you, recognizing the limitations that she had in terms of her limited literacy, she would get books for mm-hmm. you to read, not knowing that some of the books were not storybooks. <laughs> not at all, far from me. And then you, you being the person who doesn't want to um, make her feel uncomfortable, take the opportunity to, to create stories. It just seems so natural. She wanted a story, so I gave her one. Yeah, and she enjoyed it. And then, so that just kind of sparked a fire, you know. I look forward every night um, to just the four of us, my mother, myself, my brother, Oliver Josie. He's a contractor mm-hmm. in Dominican or Marilyn Robinson. So we just sat around and I gave them stories. And I don't think either of them knew mm-hmm. until she actually found out the night when I couldn't remember the story. <laughs> You see your sister's Marilyn Robinson? Yes. Okay. Okay. Anyway. okay. So, you know, that I, I really wanted you to tell that story because everybody has their own unique story, but then we get inspired by other people's stories. And, you know, the little thing that makes a spark, I mean, I mean although your mother was not approval, in approval of you pretending to be reading when you're not reading, she did recognize the potential and, and encourage you to continue making up your stories yes, and writing them down. So that's awesome. I'm sure that she would be very she's very proud of, of what you've done with your writing. And so and so you said that She would be. She never got to see much of it though. She didn't get to really to see my writing. Yeah, because you said she's so so far, we said that you were working at the, at the New Chronicle. The New Chronicle being the largest um, newspaper with the largest distributorship in Dominica for years. I think it probably still is. And so you have. And at the time, it was the only newspaper too. It was the only newspaper in Dominica at the time. And mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember the Antwerp column clearly. I remember, you know, it, it was it was entertaining and refreshing um, column as well. Um, how many years did you work at the New Chronicle? Approximately. Uh, I started in '82, and I stayed there about five years. And then, you know, there was um, Ian Mono, he was the editor at the time. Um, my mentor there was Paula Warner, and I worked alongside Felix Augustine and Lazarus Samuel. Mm. And then, I don't know, I can't remember what actually happened, but um, Mono decided to go on his own, and we went with him. So we, we had Tropical Star. Okay. And we stayed there a few years. Things were going well. So now we had two newspapers. Right. The competition was on. So we had the Chronicle and Tropical Star. And then whatever else may have happened, we shifted again. And we created the Independent and the Mirror. So we had two papers that week. We had the Independent, I think, coming out on Mondays. And the Mirror coming out on Fridays. So there was a lot of work. At that time, um, Gerald Burton, he's a lawyer. He joined us at the time. So the, the papers were going nicely and then um, he, um Ian and 
challenges. You know, people say two, some people cast it on a house together. <laughs> so some some fantastic things started to happen. And so I decided to join with James mm-hmm. and Helen Neal, and then we decided to do the Sun newspaper. But of course, we were new, and we were actually doing it from scratch. And um, well, we made our mistakes along the way. And things were not always working out. And then I had just built a house in um, Fokani. And so financial strings were really tight, really pulling. And I got an invitation to come to Montserrat mm-hmm. to work with the newspaper there. And again, it was the only paper on the island. So it seemed like I like to be working in the first and only. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Montserrat in, um, in 2000 just to get a feel of the place. And I, I, I loved it. And so I took the children in 2001, and we went up and have been there ever since. So were you, I, I, my, my, my timeline is a little confused. Um, were you in Montserrat at the time of the major eruption of the volcano? No. That was before, I was, right? that's when the major thing happened in 97. 97. And I came, yes, I came in 2001. But there was a large one in 2003, and again in 2007. We had um, quite some ash. I woke up one morning. And I realized I was finally getting to see snow because <laughs> everywhere was gray all white. Everything was covered. The branches were laden. It was really, it was beautiful. Scary, but beautiful. Well, it was just ash, Caribbean snow. <laughs> Caribbean snow. So you woke up in the morning and that happened overnight. Yep. And it, there was it, no like, major noise or tremors? Or, there wasn't. Mm. No. no, there wasn't. Wow. There wasn't. Only noise that was there were the um the, the, the little stones falling on the roofs. Okay. We felt it, you know, it was strange because we had never um heard it before. Mm-hmm. But we decided we were going out, and the next morning the place was just plastered in ash. Uh-huh. You couldn't see anything green, nothing green. Even the car, everything mm-hmm. was plastered in ash. Wow. And 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 that was over the entire island, but then there there was so. The section of the island that was already devastated by the previous eruption was not was no longer inhabited inhabited at the time, right? No, no, it wasn't. Yeah. I and mean, it was an off area, although we were closest to the volcano because we were in Salem, mm-hmm. so we got the the most of it. But in north area, the whole island got ash, but in the towards the east, got the most of it. Right. We were getting water by ration, and and we used to line up for water and. <laughs> I, it was really an experience to remember. I imagine that as a writer, that although it's scary, I guess that was a lot of material that would, um, I, I guess, um, inspire you to write, right? Well, I took notes for sure. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what I would do with it. I definitely took notes of the experiences, how I felt. Mm-hmm. And even when I, I did my English, because although, thank God for the gift, I, I can write very well. I had never, as I said, I left school in um, primary school mm-hmm. in 81. I hadn't done um, any GC or CXE or anything like that. And yeah, I was working in the newspaper. And then um, <laughs> I started to work with, with Bennett in, um, in 2001. Everything was going fine. And I love the front pages because it makes, you know, it grabs everyone. Mm-hmm. And then out of the blue, you know, the next year, February, the next year, he said he had to let me go. That's in Montreal, right? And said, yeah. And I'm saying, well, well, look at this now. The Severance Pay was next to nothing. 
I couldn't go back to Dominica like that. I couldn't stay here because I would have to. I had to rent my house. I had to. So it was like the end of the world for me at the time. And the children were at school. And about two weeks later, uh, a young Dominican woman called. She said, "But I'm not seeing your name in the paper. What happened? You stopped writing." So I told her what happened. And she said, "Oh well, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Because we need somebody to help us roll files." It was a Friday afternoon, about two or so. I said, you want me to start right now? <laughs> and she started to laugh. But she said, no, 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 it's okay. Monday will be fine. And so the Monday morning, I went. And um, I said, I've been in the government since. And, that was and it was while I started to work there, I did my, my exams. Okay. You know, I, I, if you don't mind, I want to stay on that point. <laughs> you know, Which one? Curious, the point that a, a young lady who had a primary school education did not go to a secondary school. She was able to basically teach herself to write to the extent where you had a major weekly article in, in the only newspaper in the country. And, yep, and, and front pages too. And, 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 and articles on the front page of the newspaper. And I want that, look, that I think is, 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 is really so important. Uh, for for people to to digest and to understand that the limitations that you see in front of you are usually just limitations you put in your head, right? Uh, I think so too. Mm-hmm. And of course, we just we cannot take God out of the picture because I could not have done it on my own. I hadn't gone to school for it. I didn't take any special classes for it. I never studied journalism in my life, so I knew it had to be God. And I always give him thanks and praise for that. I knew it had to be him. But also, but also, it comes from the fact that you practiced it. It was a gift, but you developed it and you practiced it practically. Every day, I get the impression that you, you everything you see, right? Oh, I did. Mm-hmm. I did. When well, the thing is, growing up, we were very poor. We were very poor. I don't know if it was dirt poor because I think dirt is very rich, but we were very poor. And I didn't have a lot of friends. Because back then, when you have the little um, penny bread, the you know the orange peanut butter, um, cooking butter we used to have, right? Right, that plaster in there. When it's recess time and you have that in a little long paper bag, you kind of go by yourself because you don't want people to see it, you know. So I didn't have a lot of friends. So my best friends were books, books. like Enid Blyton would be a rabbit, mm-hmm. and you know those kind of books. Mm-hmm. So these were my best friends. I grew up with them, and even now when I meet friends. On Facebook, 20, 30 years later, and I tell them I'm into writing. They say, Girl, you want those books again? You always had a book. <laughs> so these were always my best friends. So, yeah, so I, I kind of honed the craft. I learned to, I really read. And some books I would read, and I would say, Boy, if you see I write that story, I would write it different. And then I started to listen to the news, and I thought the news was so cut and dry. Because on the radio, they do not have a choice. They can't go into so much detail mm-hmm. as compared to the newspaper. So I would listen to a news on radio if I liked it, follow it up, and really do an in-depth piece. And then the radio picks it up again because it had so much more information and a different angle. So it was really fun. Yeah, that, that's, that's an incredible story. Um, and so uh, and you took it from Dominica, you took it to Montserrat. It, um, let's talk about your education a little bit because even though you were able to achieve certain levels and, and make certain strides, you still recognized the need to get that education and you did what you had to do to get it, right? Yes. 
Because when I, I first started to do piling in the office of the chief minister, and um, I learned very quickly how to organize it, how to get it. The important thing about filing was not just filing it away, but being able to retrieve it. Mm-hmm. And so I think I kind of mastered that. I got it right. And then they started to talk about um, appointing me as a clerical officer. But I didn't do anything. Not with me, not with me, nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And so they said, well, I have to get it for me to, as a matter of fact, I was supposed to say I've had it. He will enter the government service. Just to have them inside. Once you enter the government service, you have to have a particular level of education. And I didn't have that. So I realized right away that was a miracle and I couldn't waste it. So um, I started going to classes where English was, was perfect for me. I did it. I passed it. I did commerce. I did principles of business. I did office administration. I didn't need three. I gave them five. And so I decided, okay. They have everything they need now, so I can just concentrate on doing my work. And um, after a while, I see a lot of young persons graduating with associate degrees and so on. And I said, you know, I'm still kind of young. I was just heading to my 40s, 46, 47 up there. I said, well, I can do this, man. Let me give it a try. And I applied, and I wanted to do um, business administration. Because at the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to do some kind of business. I didn't just want to have a job. I still wanted to do something on the side. But then almost everybody was doing business administration. I say, no, that's not going to work. There's no, I don't know, it's too saturated with too many people. So I said, okay, let me choose something differently. And I know we have the social services unit, and they needed help there. They had a few... um, qualified persons, but they always kept complaining that they didn't have enough. Because it was like, let us say we have 5,000 people, and if you have only two qualified social workers, well, you know how that can go. Right. So I decided to do social work. Mm-hmm. So when I applied to university, they only had the associate degree. And I said, that was fine. So I, I went for it. And I was happy to be an A student. I was heading for that degree with honors, and then they brought on the the bachelor's degree, and they said I was um, eligible to apply. And I did, so I just matriculated to the, the bachelor's degree, which I'm actually doing now. I took a few sabbaticals. I'm actually on my third level now. Okay, that's an incredible story, you know. I mean, <laughs> there's so many layers of stories in, in, in what you're presenting to us. Uh, that's what I, I'm always so excited about it. when when I learned um of your whereabouts and that you agreed to be uh, my guest on this weekend interview. But for those people who joined us late, let me just tell you that my guest tonight on this weekend interview is Miss Catherine Dorset. If you're from Dominica, you probably remember her more as Helena Duran. She she has moved on from Dominica. She now lives in Montserrat, and she is still writing. We you know we know her name from from being printed in the newspaper. So she's still writing. So, in talking about writing, when I spoke to you before the interview, I said, um, so this is your second book, right? And you said to me, no, I have yeah. seven books so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is impressive. So, let's let's do a quick little rundown of, of some of the published work that you have. Um, your first book, you said, was um, a book of short stories? Yes. Okay. Antiquate short stories. Antiquate short stories. Because I was thinking, I want to take a lot 
you know, like you have Uncle Arthur's bedtime story. So, um, and those were the short stories that you had compiled over the years, right? Over the years, yeah. And 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 those your your work is available online. Yes, it is. You can find it on my my website and also on Amazon. On Amazon, on Amazon. So, listeners, listeners, like I always say, when I have guests on here who have made the effort and produced stuff, I always invite you to support. So, go to Amazon.com and look for. For um, Catherine's work, it's under your name, Catherine Dorset, right? Yes. Okay. Now, the next book. My website is my name as well. You, CatherineDorset.com. Yes. Okay. No periods or anything. It's just straight CatherineDorset.com. Right. Hello. Yeah. I said I said it's 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 just straight CatherineDorset.com. No dot or anything in there except for the dot com, right? Catherine.com. Yes. Catherine for C, by the way. Catherine for C. Yeah, you for C. Yeah, that's my mom's name. Catherine really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> special lady. <laughs> yes, she was. She was that. Um, and your second, um, your second book was entitled Youth Power. Yes, Youth Power. Uh-huh. Youth Power was a, a special thing for me because what I did, I tried to make my books um, sort of inspirational, secular, but inspirational to uplift. And what I did is youth power. I looked at some of the stories in the Bible using the young persons, and I had them tell the story. So I had people like Aunt Joseph tell how he had to fight against the urges of his own body to resist Potiphar's wife, and he's encouraging young boys and young girls that they too can do it. I had Aunt Dinah, Joseph's um, sister with her 12 brothers when she was raped by Shechem. And um, she's warning the young ladies, there are some people you just have to stay away from. You do not have to be like everybody else. Because the last thing on her mind was that she would ever get raped, and she was raped. And we have people like um, Daniel. We have the three Hebrew boys. And the three Hebrew boys, I put a little humorous twist, you know, I had another Christian boy tell them, look, guys, I mean, you're not the only ones who are Christian here. All the man wanted to do is bow down and, and worship the statue. Just pretend you tie in your shoes. It's not like you bow down to the thing, you know what I mean? But he said no. You know, they said no. We don't want to pretend to do anything. We're standing strong and we're not going to budge. And they too are encouraging young persons to, to seek God, seek what is right, and stand for it. If you do, God will stand for you. No, that and is, then I had the, no, the no, prodigal son. You, oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying that is such a creative twist. You you basically take characters from the Bible and put them in a contemporary setting. And have yes, them, and they uh, are speaking themselves. The young people are actually speaking themselves. Right, right, right. So let's talk about the prodigal son. Go ahead. Well, the prodigal son, it actually came about because of something I saw in church. You know, when, when you're in church, and let us suppose a young girl gets pregnant, there is such a, 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 a huge outcry. Not that you are encouraging that, you know, but they make such a fuss. And then when the baby is born, there are not enough arms to hold and cuddle and play with the baby. And I'm saying, well, you make the, those who are inside, you make them feel like they should probably go out and, and get some babies too. Because it seems like that's the only time they get attention. And so what happened is that the, the prodigal son went out and 
came back and his father threw this huge feast for him, which kind of coincided with what was happening in church. Mm -hmm. But then I sort of turned it around to get the brother's side of the story. So he said, look, practically, you know, I have been in church. I, I didn't backslide. I didn't do anything wrong. And I wasn't used. I wasn't called to worship. I wasn't called to say the prayer. And my brother who went out and did all sorts of everything, came back and look, he's worship leader, he's doing this, he's doing that. But in the end, he's saying, let us not be so selfish. Let us not just think of ourselves. Let us thank God that the people did come back because they could have died out there in their sin. And that is basically the story I was trying to send wow. with the prodigal son. That would not be but from the brother's point of view. Doing from the brother's point of view. Mm. What you say is true. I always wonder why when you listen to preaching, um, people from pastors testify and it's as if they're competing to say who... who, who yeah, they make it so exciting. You know? yeah. like they wanted to run out there and create a testimony. So we have to be so careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, understanding what they do and how they say it, you know, those who remain, they should be strengthened that we are just glad that they came mm -hmm. and try not to be bitter about what they get and their experiences and just continue serving the Lord. Because when you stay, you are a testimony to those who come back. Yeah. You know, that God is able to keep. So that was the, that was the chain that was going. Yes, so that, that was you for a second, yes. second published work. Um, and then yeah, and third one. Yeah. Is the wolf of a man. Wolf of a man. Okay. Yes. Let me let you talk about that before I say anything. About that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's what you're thinking, but let me tell you. The wolf of a man. Um, I got remarried on Montserrat. When I got remarried, I was 40 years old. At a, a wonderful gentleman. But before he became a Christian, he was... Ooh. You know how it can be when you're not a Christian, let's just say that. I have no idea. So he finally <laughs> Well he he drank, he ran around, he, he played the field. Mm -hmm. He was terrible. And sometimes he would pass at my house and call. And I would tell the children to tell him I'm not there because I, I couldn't just I just couldn't take him on at certain times. And then sometimes he would come up the step and I would pray with him. And then one, I think it was a Friday, you know, he came up the step. He said it was his birthday, so he bought cake. And partner, the cake looked like it just fell, you know, and just took it on, put it back on the plate. <laughs> yeah, full of fun. And the man said, you want to share the cake. So I didn't want him to feel bad. I took a piece, I told him I will eat it later. So he stayed there. And another friend came to see me. And while we were talking and we were praying, and I was telling him how much God loves him, you know, and God has such potential for him. His name is... People call him Jimmy. Every time I see him, I call him Jimmy Swagger, whether he's drunk or not. Mm -hmm. You know, because the Bible said to speak it into being. <laughs> so I call him Jimmy Swagger. Because he wanted to be a future for the Lord, you know. And that's how we practically became friends. But that day, my friend was with me. And um, we asked him if he would like us to pray with him. And we did. So, you know, we like to touch and agree. So we put his, um, our hands on his head. We, we held each other's hands and we were praying. And the guy just, just started to cry and started to scream and say, yeah, I don't want to drink rum anymore, and calling on the Lord to save him. And it was such a, uh, such a touching experience. We were all crying and praying. And then the Sunday, he was at church, and he hasn't drank a drop since. And after that, he started cutting, and eventually we got married. 
So we got married and then we started to visit other churches. And we went to a sister church. And um, one lady got up to give a testimony. And she said, Brother Jimmy, stand up, stand up, let people see you. So he stood up because knowing the faith, he wanted people to see that he had given his life to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the lady said, well, let me tell you, look at this man. You see this man? If God can change him, God can change anybody. Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> so on his face, you know. And um, while it was, it wasn't quote unquote something wrong to say, but the way she said it, it made him feel bad. Mm-hmm. And so when we were going on, so honey, what? So that's when I was the worst person on earth then. What, what, I didn't think I could ever be saved. And, and I was, I thought of it for a long time. And then I came up with the, with the, the idea for the book. The work of a man. Let him who has no sins cast the first stone. Because you can't determine who God saved and nobody is out of reach. We cannot get to pick and choose who we tell about the good news of Jesus. We cannot pick and choose who we say a kind word to. You know, the Bible says you can entertain strangers. And then, um, you're entertaining strangers and you may be entertaining angels. And that was basically where it came from. And I used the examples of people like Rahab. I mean, who would have thought that Rahab would be right directly in the lineage of Jesus Christ? You know, and then we used people like David. He was kicked out of the pageant. They didn't think he was worthy to be king. The father didn't call him. But then after all the other brothers paraded the stage, they had to go and find him. Who would have thought he could become king? And then look at Paul. Well, Saul first. And most of the New Testament is written by him. So things like that, the wolf of a man, it is not how we see them. Let us try to see people through the eyes of God, through, through eyes of charity and compassion, because we are all created by him. We all have dignity and should be treated as such. What were you thinking when you heard about the wolf of a man? No, it wasn't that. Um, I was thinking that, well, that's interesting because I think that men in our society, men are not appreciated sufficiently. Um, so I was, I was curious about that. I, I think that women are the disadvantaged gender, no doubt. There's a lot of, there's a lot of need for equality for women. But even, but in the quest for equality, I think that, um, that a lot of times men are underappreciated. And like when, so when, when I look at modern television and that sort of thing, even like when you look at the kids, the show that the kids look at, they always make boys look ridiculous. They say shallow things, they do shallow things, and they get laughed at. And I just think that sends a message so from very young. We, we sort of training our boys to not expect much of themselves. And I think that's been manifested. You can see when you look around, girls achieve so much more than boys. And I think that some, some of that is contributing to that. So I thought that was where it was going. That's all. <laughs> and when I saw okay. the idea of the work of a man, that I was happy to, to see it. And I was curious. I was looking forward to this, you know, because I really think, I thought, <laughs> it, I thought it was more gender-based. Um, I understand no, what, it's, what, it's what not. you make, it's, very, make a lot of sense, in, but in, in the sense that you handle it, man in that sense is a general term that represents yes. women. Yes. yes. Yeah. But, but I, like, I like the way that um, you are able to take um, everyday situations and happenings around you and bend them, put them in a, in a container of a story and put it together. That's, that's, that's an incredible gift. 
that you have. Um, and so we can only encourage you. Um, and your next work, number four, was what? Number four was um, on Ask Questions. Okay. It's actually um, one of my UV projects. We had to do a case management study. Mm-hmm. And it was so enlightening to me, kind of opened my eyes. So I thought I would put all of my my papers that I actually submitted for um, for correction, and I created a book with it. It's um, the case. The case was a young man, fictitious, of course, but that's the case we had to work with. He was only sixteen, and he told his Christian parents that. Um, he was um, he was gay, mm-hmm. and they they kicked him out of the house, and he was living on the streets, and was really in bad shape. So, I didn't want anything to do with that particular case, and I told my tutor as much, because I felt as a Christian, and particularly a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, it just we we do not accept homosexuality. We accept the person as being a wolf, a creature of God, but we do not condone the habit. So I thought, well, I wouldn't touch it at all. And so my teacher and I, we had a big fight. So I accused her of trying to push homosexuality down my throat. And she said, look, Catherine, you cannot run away from things you do not like. And as a social worker, you cannot just refer everything you're not comfortable with. So I want you to do this. I am not changing the topic. This is what I want you to do. This is the group you're in. So work it out. And I said, okay, I prayed about it. I did my research. Because if you want to be a good social worker, you have to be objective. You can't just give, you know, you can't be biased. So I did my, my work. And um, it actually came out good because in the end, when we had to do our own personal statement at the end of each week, although it was group work, but each person had to say how they felt or how they, what they did, I, I had to admit that. If, for example, any one of my my children would come to me today and tell me that he or she was gay, I mean, it would be a shock because it goes against everything that I believe. It goes against every way that I have raised them. But in the end, you have to put your personal feelings aside and accept the person as somebody of worth and respect the choice because even God respects our choices. So you cannot condemn the person because of the choice. Everybody has to give an account for himself and herself. So you accept the person and respect the choice. You do not have to accept the choice, but you definitely have to respect it. And I got an A+. I said, praise the Lord. I thought I would fail because... <laughs> challenge you. But you know, the, the issue of homosexuality is something that the Caribbean has to, has to deal with. Um, because the we Caribbean do. We, exists, have to do we exist in a world where it's becoming more and more, uh, you say, normal, for, you know, and um, yeah, and we have Dominica had an incident a couple of years ago where there was a, a homosexual ship on port, and wow. um, and of course, um, not. I don't think it's because it was homosexuality, but the reaction was stronger because it was. Because in Dominica we frown, we know we frown upon public display, but not homosexual, but public display of sexual behavior, whether it's Mm -hmm. heterosexual or homosexual. Exactly, and especially homosexual. Right, homosexuality elicited a a, a much stronger 
um, reaction. And, and, and so you know, those things are things that we have to grapple with. Um, there's a few years ago we had um, certain government officials that were almost openly gay, and the reaction to that was, was strong as well. Um, I, I can imagine. Just during the early stages of the Labour Party, when the Labour Party first won the election, um, we had some people in government that were, uh, just one person in particular, um, <laughs> from my village of Cassavis. Yeah, but we, we can't run away from but, it. Yeah, it's something that it, we it, have to yeah. deal with. There are, there are islands in the Caribbean where people are still murdered because they, are, they have that orientation. And so something that I've but been, not, not only that, I mean, there are, there are places in the world where people are murdered for being Christians. Right. So it is all about accept, all about respecting people's choices. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because you think being a Christian is a good thing, and it is. Yet there are people who are being killed just for being Christian. Exactly. The Pope just came to me. So you know, right. So we are, we accept people and respect their choices and leave everything to God because he he respects our choices. So that, that 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 is that is a powder keg that is sitting smack dab in the middle of the Caribbean that eventually has to get opened up and dealt with. And yep, yep. Caribbean people really have to deal with it. Hopefully it doesn't get too ugly when when it you know when it, when it comes to a head. Um let's talk about oh, we have ten more minutes. Um and I want to get to your film. <laughs> so is there is there another book? Um, what about your latest books? You have two of them that are pretty um yeah. Okay, I have the, the three latest ones. I have Anthology of Weekly Writing Prompts. Mm-hmm. I joined a... Honey, honey, I'm leaving this. I joined a writing club on the internet, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And what we did was every week, the, the, the host would put up a prompt. And we had to write, take, you know, the different ways about it. We just had to write. Right. It could be just a picture. Mm-hmm. And we had to write a prompt of 500 words, 200 words, whatever it was. And so we came together and we said, well, at the end of the year, we were each going to publish our contributions. Mm-hmm. And then by week 23, 24, you know, people started to dwindle and things were... And I said, you know, before this thing died down completely, so I published all of my prompts along with all the the comments and so out of it. So that is Anthology of Weekly Writing Prompts. Okay. And my first movie is actually based on one of the stories in it. Okay. But if I get to the movie, if I get to the movie, then I had um, Fire on Monster, mm-hmm. which is my inspirational romance based on the 20 years of volcanic activity on the island of Monster. It's, it's that a came about. It's a romance inspired by the eruption of a volcano. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. And the, the book itself, it actually is, and I really love it. Mm-hmm. The book itself came about. Because in 2015, the, the government wanted to do a big splash because we were celebrating. Well, not celebrating, you know, but 20 years of volcanic um, activity, mm-hmm. redevelopment, new thresholds, but 20 years of having a live volcano. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what can I do to contribute to that? And since writing is all I can do, I wrote. Mm-hmm. And so I had this couple who got turned apart by the volcano. And met again on one shot in 2015, 20 years later. And where this takes you is like out of this world. So, it's good. Uh, all right. This is a, <laughs> you need to go look for that one. <laughs> you should. You should. Uh, and then mm-hmm. my last book is um, Will He Remember Me Tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I wanted to commemorate um, Alzheimer's Day. And I did a short piece on a, on a gentleman who is in a home, doesn't understand why he's there, because he looks around, 
and he see persons who are older than him. And he, I mean, some of them, they forget who they are and so on. And he himself doesn't realize that he has forgotten who he is. And this young lady comes up to him and says, hi, dad. And, and he figures, that. And then he sees that she kind of, her, her countenance kind of falls. So he decides in his mind that although he's not her father, just to make her happy, he's going to pretend that he's her father. And say, hi, honey, hi, honey. My mind was far away. And she's so happy. Dad, you remember me? You really remember me? And they talk and so on. And they laugh and joke. And then she leaves and says, I will come back again tomorrow. And while she's going, he's thinking, poor child. I guess she's so traumatized by the death of her father or the laws that she cannot accept he's gone. Mm-hmm. So if she wants me to be her father, okay, I'll be her father. And she's going away now, so excited that she's thinking, I don't know what I would have done if that didn't recognize me today. Because for years, you know, he's been having this really bad time. The wife had stopped coming because he couldn't recognize her. And she said, okay, tomorrow I'm going to bring some pictures and hopefully... And then she says, tomorrow, oh my goodness, I know had kind of somersault inside and this painful joy, you know, in her chest. And she said, oh my goodness, will you remember me tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And it stopped. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, I, when I read that title, Will You Remember Me Tomorrow, uh, my mind went to the Burning Flame, the Burning Flame song. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the, the, that the song. song uh, if you get what you want tonight, will you remember me tomorrow? Um, I, I like the way you 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 use popular titles and you, you give it a twist that 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 augurs well that says that your writing is is different um, and so Alzheimer's is something that's very very common and has touched the lives of so many people so I imagine that yeah, is, um, destroys families yeah. and and the thing about Alzheimer's is that. One of the mistakes, I, one of the, maybe not a mistake, but one of the issues that people, relatives of Alzheimer's people grapple with is that they're always trying to take the people back to where they were. So when it starts, you want them to remember you, you want them, and then when they can no longer remember you, you accept that they can't remember you, but now maybe they, they can no longer dress themselves. And you wish that they could yeah, them. Yeah, so, so what yeah. I always tell people with Alzheimer's, relatives of people with Alzheimer's, is don't try to get them to go back to where they were. Enjoy the things that they can do today. Yes, I love them for you. Because the things that they can do today is short term, because tomorrow they will no longer be able to They may not try. So enjoy also, them while they can do them today. And, and and otherwise you find yourself and create always, new memories. You know what I mean? Exactly. Otherwise you're going to always find yourself trying to go back to last week or last month, and and you and you keep missing always what present. you do today. Yeah. So Alzheimer's, I think, is something that um, that we have to, learn to deal with. Um, so yeah, very very poignant. And then you have your current book that's coming out. You said Jordan is your book. Um. I'm actually working on the sequel to Fire and Monshot. It's not published yet. I'm hoping to bring it out in June. Okay. But um, when I when I brought out Fire and Monshot, the the persons that I allowed to read it or those who bought it, they 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 were so um encouraging. And everybody said, Girl, this book has to be a movie. I, it has to be a movie. I want to see it as a movie. Right. And it lit a fire under me. And I wanted to see it as a movie too. But then 
Movies are expensive things. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows Catherine Butler. Who's going to do a movie on that book? So I said, okay, well, why don't you do it yourself? And so in July, I went to the Financial Commission and I registered my company, Picture Films Entertainment. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I will do my own movie. I will find a way. So I registered the company. So that was the first step. And I gave it to a friend of mine. I told her, look, I want to make this into a movie. And as well as I can write, I have no idea how to write a script, what it is about. And she said, oh, man, I am actually working on something myself. So I, I cannot handle this. But there's an African guy. Um, he's actually a director, movie director. He has done a movie before, actually two parts. So probably he can help you. And so I went to the guy, introduced myself, and I gave him a copy of my book. Mm-hmm. And I told him I'm looking for a script. And when I saw him again, he actually called the next day and said, Madam, this is a wonderful book. And you can do the movie. I will do it for you. I will do it for you. I am on my third reading. I said, you serious? <laughs> yes, he said he read it off in one night. Mm-hmm. And he has read it again. And he's on his third reading. And he really wants to do the movie. He wants to do the script. And so we um, negotiated a price. And he did the script. And I have the script. I know I'm, I have two, two, um, two international actors that um, they actually just got a award for doing a new movie. Um, they had the script reading. They haven't confirmed anything mm-hmm. whether they actually want to do the roles or not. But the fact that they accepted the script and they're reading it, that is such a big plus. Yep. So I am just thanking God and watching what happens next. You just can't stop I, right? <laughs> I understand. I know we have very short time. But I understand that you also love film, so why don't you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> well, yeah, um, I my one of the things I want to do is to is to get into documentaries. You know, I actually took a, I actually took a class on documentary film production, and the reason yeah. why I'm interested in film is because I I grew up in a little village in Dominica. And there were so many things that we did that were so organic and close to the earth. And I see so many of those things dying as our parents and our grandparents die. And so that is my motivation for wanting to do a film, is to be able to capture the essence of what it is to be a a, a person that grew up in that environment so that my children, my grandchildren can see um, and, and there's so much value, you know, in our herbs, our rice, sure. things that we do, we relate to each other. Um, our sayings, there's always a wise saying for, for something that helps you to put things in perspective. And that's the approach that I want. So when I hear you do film, I was excited. Maybe we'll be on this interview <laughs> and find room for collaboration. But, um, oh, I'm sure yeah. the possibility exists. But you also said that in preparation for doing this film, you did a short. Uh, a short film on one of the stories in one of your books. You want to talk about that a little yes. bit? Yes. Yes, um, it's called um, Dangerous Charade. Mm-hmm. It's about um, some old um, aged person, elderly persons in a home, and the, they're accusing the matron of um, abusing the old persons. Mm-hmm. And it seems like every six months, an old person dies, especially someone who has um, no relatives. And especially people who have money, mm-hmm. they seem to be dying, and she seems to be benefiting. And so, um, the some young girls decided, well, 
because they want to know what is happening. They're going to pretend to be old persons and get, you know, admitted into the home. And I mean, they did it so well that they actually got admitted into the home. Two have families and friends, and this one person was supposed to be about 85. Ah, no. Doesn't have anyone, and she's supposed to be very rich. And so the matron is targeting Anna. So it's a, and, it's a murder mystery. <laughs> it's a murder mystery. <laughs> and if you know how this thing ends, man, you will laugh. Right. But we did a little change in the movie. It's not quite the same as in the book, but it's, it's very entertaining. So so that book is available for people to see? or How is it, how can people find your work? You, you talk about so much of your work, and it's so interesting and fascinating. Well, the books are available mm-hmm. on my website and on Amazon. Okay. The movies... I've only just started. Mm-hmm. I did um, Dangerous Charade mm-hmm. in January of 2017. Mm-hmm. And then Clash of Culture is another movie that I was part of, mm-hmm. which, um, which because of the partnership, mm-hmm. and now it belongs to me. It's about um, how we, how cultures can really change a person, how what you believe, what you know as you grow up, really defines you no matter where you go. Because there's this African young man, the same African um, director, John Akuma, who did the script for me. Right. He directed um, Dangerous Charlie, and he also directed Clash of Culture and was the actor in it as well. Wonderful talent. And he, his father is from Montserrat. Mm-hmm. But his father, you could call him Mr. Caricom. But apparently, he has a child in every country in the Caribbean. <laughs> but, you know, in Africa, the tradition is if you're the, if you're the first male child, when your, your father dies, everything belongs to you. And so he comes into the Caribbean with that mentality and finds that, well, the women of the Caribbean are not as, well, if I should say laid back, quote-unquote, no offense meant, as the people back there. They take their stand and they fight for their rights and they want to run companies and so on. And he's, he's so annoyed because he cannot believe that his father has left a will. Why leave a will when automatically what, everything that you have belongs to me? And then you see the clash of culture in there and the, the negotiations and there was a murder and oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> People are asking if I have it on DVD yet. I haven't I'm put it on DVD yet, but it's in the works. Oh, definitely. You'll be the first to get so, so we have to stay, we have <laughs> we have to keep in, in tune in touch as well. Um because you know, T D N radio we also have T D N T V. Um and so it's quite possible that we can put excerpts oh, and, and, and stuff on T D N T V. Uh, so, so <laughs> Catherine, we could talk all night because you have so much. You've done so much. <laughs> you've done so much, you and and you're still very young. So there's still a lot for you to do. And and I mean, we just I look on on your story for amazement. What you've been able to do with what you've been given is amazing. And so and so, you know, hats off to you, uh, listeners. If you joined us late, my guest tonight on this weekend interview was Catherine Dorset. Um, we knew her in Dominica as Helena Durant. Catherine, I guess, was her, her proper name, like we used to say in Dominica. Yeah, I started using it when I went to university. Right. And and so um, it was just a, a very much of a delightful conversation that we just had. And I, again, I want to express my appreciation for you coming on the show. Um, so let's do the final word to, to the audience. But I want to say a very happy thank you for um, choosing to have me on this week in interview. I feel really honored, humbled, and I'm honored. And I want to thank the listening audience. Without you, 
it won't go very far. So thank you for listening. And I wish um to the end all the best. And I will keep working with you behind the scenes and hopefully up front as well. To um promote let's promote each other, let's work together. No certainly. And thank you so much. And before we leave, let's just say that your son is also um into performance. He's a singer. Um he's he's and um, yes, I manage his gospel music. Right. He does Ben Duran. As, as he sings his singer. secular songs as Prince Romeo and his gospel as Ben Duran. And therefore you act as his manager, right? Yes, I do. All right. So let's look out for that as well. But listeners, um go on to a Facebook page, Catherine Dorset, or go onto a website, CatherineDorset.com, go onto Amazon, look for her work, purchase her work. It sounds exciting. It sounds like it's so, you know, it, it, it's invigorating. It's a different twist. And let us, let us just encourage her and, um, and to wish her all the best and continued strength and inspiration so she can continue bringing us all of these stories. Catherine, thank you so much for being on the interview. And thank you so much for having me. Well, listen, as I did promise it was going to be a very informative, insightful, and stimulating conversation, and I totally enjoyed it, so I hope you did as well. Uh, my guest tonight on this week's interview was Miss Catherine Dorset, and she currently resides on the island of Montserrat. She is originally from Dominica. She's written some eight books. Her last one being um, Fire on Montserrat, which is a, um, a romance um, set, it, set in Montserrat. She also has a very short um, film that's coming out, that came out in January, and, and you look to try to locate it and get two copies of it as well, um, called um, Dangerous Charades, Murder Mystery Investigation, set in a nursing home. And of course, she collaborated on Clash of Cultures. Just look out for all of that. Um, you know, in the Caribbean, we, we like our, our, our theater, we like our art. So let's give encouragement to the young lady. And I want to say thank you to you, listener, for being with me on this speaking interview one more time. I want to say thank you to my producer and engineer, Sam. And we'll do this again next week, Wednesday. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of the week. Have a great weekend. Um, shout out. Um, this weekend, graduation begins. I have a nephew who's graduating with engineering degree on Saturdays. I want to shout out to Jalil. Love you, man. And looking forward to seeing you walk across that stage. So good night, listeners. And um, we'll see you um, next week, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for another episode of This Week in Interview. Good night. (laughs) 